Hello, hello, boys and girls. Welcome to the Ted Teo Business Show, the best place for actionable advice for entrepreneurs. This is Ted, your friend and host speaking. Today, we're going to explore the topic of how to build your supply chain with Aaron L. Peter. Now, Aaron L. Peter is the founder and CEO of Isber Consulting. Isber Consulting brings proven startup operator and Fortune 500 level expertise to startups at a fractional basis so that founders can be more equity and cash efficient while focusing on other parts of their business. Isber Consulting augments its clients' teams in both short and long-term engagements, providing thought partnership and day-to-day management while building out their internal full-time team as their businesses grow. So join us as Aaron shares about how you should build your supply chain with 18-month plans, how you should build your supply chain around its bottlenecks to optimize it, and why you should find out the diminished value by shipping goods in each country when planning your shipments. All these value bombs and more on today's show after this quick commercial break. Hey guys, it's Ted. Thank you so much for joining me on my show and for all the support. If you ever found any value from the show, I would love if you could subscribe to the show, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and share the show with somebody who will find it useful as well. All episodes, tools, and resources are available on tattoo.com, so make sure you log on to tattoo.com. That's T-E-D-T-E-O.com. And make sure you sign up for the newsletter if you want to hear updates from me directly. And now, let's dive right in. Hey Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Aaron, let's start with the icebreaker so we can get to know you better. Can you share with us, who is Aaron L. Peter when he isn't working? Well, most importantly, I'm a, I'm a husband and I'm a father. So I've got two young kids and uh, just this past weekend, I, I took my four-year-old to a high school football game uh, just to, to try to create that memory mm. and uh, usually like to, to wrestle with my kids. That's a milestone. I can. Now, Aaron, you are an expert in the realm of supply chain management. You've helped multiple startups build their supply chain successfully, and you're currently running Isba Consulting. But let's start with your story. What got you started in the supply chain industry in the first place? I think I've always been interested in how things actually get done. So for me, when someone says, what is supply chain? Kind of the first answer I always give them is it's, it's really the intersection between good ideas and reality. Um, you know, supply chain is, is about how stuff gets made, it's about how it gets moved, how it gets delivered, how it comes back. How the world exactly, works, really. Exactly. And so um, I, I think that uh, I, I was always inter- interested in supply chain before I even knew what it was. And, um, you know, once I, I figured out what it was, I changed my major to that. I uh, graduated from Ohio State University and uh, was lucky enough to uh, get hired on to, uh, by Unilever right out of school and was part of a, a supply chain management program, um, which uh, allowed me to, to move around and do a lot of just really amazing stuff in a Fortune 500 company. So I, I worked in a factory uh, making Lipton tea. I ran the import-export group for North America. I uh, did a lot with uh, business waste and international movements and planning. And so it's just a fantastic time. I really, really enjoyed my time at Unilever. Mm, yeah, sounds like a very well-rounded experience that Unilever gave to you during the time that you were there. Yeah, yeah, I have nothing but uh, good things to say about Unilever. Mm, I see, but what led you to leave Unilever thereafter? Yeah, it, it wasn't an easy decision, but uh, I knew that I really wanted to get into e- e-commerce. And uh, Unilever's fantastic at a lot of things. Um, at the time, e-commerce wasn't one of them. Um, you know, Unilever's really built around oh, pallets to Walmart, and, and they do a good job at that. Very brick and mortar exactly, settings, right? Exactly. And so um, I, I tried to network into the e-commerce team that they had, but uh, they 
Oh, how well, did it turn they, out? <laughs> they wanted people who had e-commerce <laughs> experience, which I didn't. Uh, That's kind of a chicken and egg problem, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't join the team because I couldn't yeah. get the experience that I would only get at the team. And so it was kind of one of those things where if you want to get into e-commerce, you have to look elsewhere. And so I started okay. uh, looking elsewhere and was connected to uh, to the founders of, of a company called Hubble Contacts. Um, and uh, we, we had dinner one night and they just simply asked a question of how do we supply chain? And I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> they, they just raised their, their series. Well, that's not well, an easy it was, question. It was a pretty loaded question. Um, they just raised their Series A. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're kind of trying to recognize that they had to pull this off. And so, um, you know, their eyes kind of glazed over a little bit as they talked about, uh, you know, setting up warehousing and factories and import customs and all sorts of fun stuff like that. You know, there's a lot in supply chain. And so it's one of those things where yeah, uh, if, if you're wired differently, you love it. And if you're a normal person, you're like, okay, I just want this to happen. <laughs> so after the conversation, you joined Hubble and helped them with the supply chain, right? What happened thereafter? Uh, yeah, I think my title was Chief Supply Chain Officer, um, but was able to build out that entire operation from the ground up. Um, so I uh, went with the founders to Taiwan, found and sourced the factory, uh, found and sourced the, the fulfillment centers, uh, helped create the packaging, uh, negotiate all the contracts, built the modeling, which they still use. Um, it just was was a fantastic opportunity to build something from the ground up. I see. So today you are running your own company called Isba Consulting. What led you to start it? Yeah, it was it was kind of a roundabout uh, process. So, you know, Hubble was was doing fantastic. Uh, we were adding tens of thousands of subscribers beyond what we had forecasted. And one of the things that I'm most proud of mm-hmm. professionally is that we did so um, with without a single uh, stock out. So we, we had. Uh, inventory to grow as fast as, cool. as we could possibly go. Um, we did it with 30 days of inventory, so it wasn't as if we were sitting on, uh, you know, a huge uh, mountain of contacts. Um, but I, I really so there was a lot of in and out. Oh yeah, time. it was it was uh, it was pretty crazy. A lot of stuff was moving through. But what was really interesting was that um, I was I had built the supply chain in such a way that it was self reinforcing and and self um, you know self healing in some cases. And so, you know, I was um, I was only spending about eight hours a week running the actual supply chain. Um, I was responsible for customer wow. service, quality, regulatory, in addition to supply chain. So I was spending about eighty hours a week on the customer service side, um, but only about eight a week on on the supply chain side. And so, uh, the role was really becoming more customer service focused than supply chain focused. And so, uh, ultimately, ended up uh, leaving Hubble. I consulted for a few companies. Um, you know, stepped into the farmer's dog. Um, which is a fresh frozen dog food company here in the U.S. Um, as a consultant for about six months and helped uh, rebuild their entire supply chain, which is a they're a fantastic group of, group of people. Uh, and then was COO okay. at a company called Stay Natural uh, before ultimately founding Isba. So Aaron, in your own words, please share with us, what is Isba Consulting's value proposition for its customers? Yeah, so quite simply, you know, we build supply chains for startups. Um, we are a, a outsourcing consulting technology company and what I've recognized is that uh, startups are growing. You know, if you're in a, a fast-paced startup, uh, your needs are changing very rapidly. And so most companies don't need a full-time COO or even a head of ops uh, to begin with. Um, they, they need access to that brain power. They need access to a certain skill set for a certain period of time. And as you're, you know, perhaps the right person that you have uh, is, is really hitting their stride for six to 12 months in. But then once you hit another milestone, 
you know, you, you either need a completely different skill set or uh, the business has grown in complexity beyond uh, what that, that person um, is ultimately going to be successful for. And so what we do is we bring that expertise on a fractional basis. And if you need a manufacturing expert, we bring in a manufacturing expert. If you need an inventory expert, we bring in an inventory expert. If you bring in uh, a freight expert, we've got those two. And so really our, our focus is uh, trying to bring that, that critical expertise to your company in, in whatever way, shape, or form you need. And the way that we work with most companies is we'll start out with a consulting project. Um, and that's usually our choice. Uh, we want to, to get to know you and uh, we want you to get to know us. Uh, but more often than not, after we complete that project, it turns into some sort of uh, retainer. And uh, what our goal is, is to augment your current operations team. And this can mean that we are your entire operations team if you don't have somebody. Um, or, you know, we, we can work with, uh, you know, your manager, your COO, your VP. And typically what happens is that uh, we will work very closely with the C-suite executives of that startup um, run their supply chain, and then hire people below and then above us so we can leave a very strong uh, full-time supply chain team uh, behind to ultimately scale you uh, to where you need to be. So as part of the consultation process, you will also be teaching and imparting them necessary skills for them to grow to the next stage of growth as well? That's right. We do an enormous amount of training, recruiting. Um, we, we see you know, the benefit of hiring a consultancy is that you, you get the benefit of all the good ideas that other startups are doing. And so, you know, there may not be a whole lot of uh, overlap, you, you think, between a medical device company and a, and a consumer electronics company. But if you are, you know, in the parcel industry, if you're in the fulfillment industry and you're seeing things in a slightly different way, there's always, uh, you know, connections that can be made between A, B, and C. Ah, I see. Now, to my understanding, there's also an additional value proposition here. To my understanding, you've seen a lot of companies at different stages of their growth and you've brought them through the process as well. Now, growing a company's supply chain at different stages would definitely need a different set of skills at each stage, from growing your supply chain to covering your whole city, to covering the whole state and covering nationwide distribution. Each level would definitely require a different set of skills. And I guess it can be quite overwhelming if you don't have an expertise behind that area. And that's where something like ISBA Consulting would really help a person, right? Absolutely. You know, we're, we're pretty upfront uh, that we don't know everything about everything. Um, there's always going to be somebody who's more expert in a very niche specific area than, than we are. And uh, we're the first ones to recommend uh, experts in those space if, if we can't help. But what we feel that we are experts in is that end-to-end supply chain. So being able to put together the entire strategy the entire execution in order to um, to get to where you need to be for where you're at. One of the things that we usually tell startups is that you should plan on reinventing yourself, your supply chain, every 18 months. Um, a lot of folks oh, will, will say, well, you know, I need to, to you know, be on this software or have this, this size of a factory because that's how I'm going to be a billion-dollar company. I usually tell them, yeah, that's great, but before you're a billion-dollar company, be a million-dollar company and just focus on what you need to do to get there first. I see. Now, Aaron, what are some common mistakes that entrepreneurs make when it comes to designing their operations or supply chain that they tend to make? Could you share with sure. us? I think it's important to understand that, you know, roughly 80 to 90 percent of the headaches that you're going to have with your supply chain are tied to the design. And so, you know, okay. the most important thing that we encourage uh, companies to do is to uh, is to develop a forecast. Um, and, and what's called sales and operations planning, or SNLP planning, is, is really where everything starts in, in my mind. And the point of that is to put your assumptions down onto paper 
and to say, here's what I think the next 18 to 24 months are going to look like. You know what's wrong. I know it's wrong. Uh, but it serves as a starting point nonetheless, right? Exactly. And so if, if you're able to do that and you're able to commit to doing that on a monthly basis, suddenly, you know, you start to spot those problems earlier on um, that, that, you know, you normally would, would bite you. So, you know, good example, um, just, you know, going back to Hubble, uh, you know, we, we were doing SNOP planning before we even sold a single contact lens. Um, and so it was, it was kind of funny because the, uh, the, the founders were like, hey, this seems like a waste of time. Why are we doing this? We haven't sold anything. But I said, let's, let's put down our guesses. Let's see what we have. And uh, we, we did so. And uh, once we launched, you know, we started to get a lot more data and we started to get a lot more um, bullish in, in how quickly we were growing. And the, because we had had a forecast that we were sharing with the factory and with our partners pretty regularly, when we saw these increases that were happening, they were saying, oh, I get it. You know, you're on plan, you're ahead of plan. And uh, that allowed us to, you know, one, have conversations about expanding capacity earlier. It helped us understand, uh, you know, if our fulfillment partners, if our packaging partners uh, were going to be able to keep up with what we needed. Um, the worst thing that could happen for a, a fast growing company is to kind of have your wings clipped because your supply chain can't keep up. And so if, if you're able to, uh, spot when you might need a new factory or when you might need to hire or whatever is going to be your bottleneck, uh, you know, six to nine months ahead of time, then suddenly you're in a much stronger position uh, to, to weather those storms. I see. So with this sales and operations plan, you actually can start forecasting what you need to communicate with your manufacturers as well in terms That's of the right. volume you need down the road, correct? That's right. And it's, you know, even the other downside too is let's suppose you don't grow as quickly, right? If, if you were... Um, paying a minimum with the factory and said, you need to order 5 million units you know, every month, but you're only selling mm-hmm. 500,000 units. Um, that can put your business upside down pretty quickly. And so, again, it's it's not about building your final supply chain because your supply chain is never quite done. It's about looking mm-hmm. 18 months out at a minimum and understanding where you are, where you need to be um, based on where the business wants to go. So guys, as Aaron has shared, when you are designing a supply chain, design it on the basis that you're going to work on it for the next 18 to 24 months. Don't plan too far ahead because you never know what you will need ahead of time. Also remember to design your sales and operations plan so you can actually forecast whether you are on track or not with your sales and your manufacturing pipeline. So let's say you are ahead of schedule, then you can start communicating to your manufacturing partners ahead of time to say that, hey, I need your support to produce a higher volume of goods over the next few months. So Aaron, how should one maybe approach the issue of designing the supply chain? I know we should think about it in the manner of an 18 to 24 months basis, but is there a simple framework that maybe we can apply? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's important that you understand your assumptions around what can be made, what can be shipped, um, what can be handled from an internal ops perspective. And there's a, a, um, a manufacturing theory, a, a piece of supply chain, um, uh, I, I guess, yeah, just theory is the right way to think about it, um, called drum buffer rope. And it's uh, if, if you Google it, you'll find it. But the, the basic idea is that you want to look at your entire system and you want to understand what the bottleneck is going to be. And uh, the, the point is that, you know, that bottleneck, whether it's in factory or whether it's a fulfillment center, or whether it's a, a uh, production capacity, that is the, the drumbeat that your entire supply chain should, should beat against. And the point is that you never want that to stop, right? So if you think about the manu- manufacturing environment, if I have a piece of equipment that can make 
uh, 1,000 widgets an hour, uh, another one that can make 10,000 widgets an hour, and then a, a third one that can only make 50 an hour. Well, my maximum throughput I'm going to be able to make is 50 an hour. And so the point is, even if th other things will start and stop, you never want that piece of equipment that's only doing 50 units an hour to ever stop. You want that to run 24-7. And so the important thing is to look at your supply chain. Of where What is your bottleneck? Where is it going to be? If it's fulfillment, then you want to make sure that you are optimizing for fulfillment. If it's your production, you want to optimize for production. If it's demand, you want to optimize for demand. But just this, this idea of understanding where things are going to break and at what level they're going to break um, will we'll help you understand when it needs to break, when it will break. And you can be proactive that way. Now, there's a key takeaway right there, guys. When you're designing your supply chain, look at your supply chain bottlenecks and make sure that it's designed to optimize against that bottleneck being a problem for you. Now, Aaron, before we get any further, could you take some time to explain to us the difference between a self-fulfillment model and a third-party fulfillment model? What are the pros and cons of each? Absolutely. So a, a self-fulfillment model uh, is, is one in which the, the company, um, the, the actual brand, is doing the overall fulfillment. Uh, there are some really big companies that do fulfillment, uh, self-fulfillment, um, and there are some uh, really big companies that do third-party fulfillment. So you, you can, you know, there's no uh, universal answer for, for either one. Um, when it comes to self-fulfillment, typically what I would what I recommend to clients is that if there is something truly unique about your fulfillment process, if that is a moat that you are setting up, uh, then you want to do that. So there are a couple meal meal kit delivery companies uh, here in the United States that um, you know their secret sauce is their fulfillment, the the ability to cut those ingredients to get them packaged in just the, the right amount to make sure everything stays fresh, to make sure they get out in a quick, a quick manner. That, that is unique. That's, that's something that an investor is, is willing to pay for. And so, um, you know, when you, when you outsource to a third party fulfillment center, uh, you're letting them learn to make mistakes on your account that they will leverage with other accounts. And so a, a meal kit delivery company, um, if that is their secret sauce, if that is what's gonna separate them, uh, probably doesn't want to pay somebody to get really good at that uh, to to ultimately you know potentially do that for a competitor. Um, that being said, fulfillment's hard. <laughs> you know, it, it seems pretty easy. You're just like, hey, I'm put stuff in a box, I'm putting a label on, I'm sending it out. Um, but it, it it can be quite difficult. Uh, you have to be able to manage the space. You have to be able to manage the inventory, the labor. Um, you know, if if you're planning on two thousand orders a day and you get five thousand. Uh, you have to deal with that. If you're planning on $2,000 a day and you get 20, you have to deal with that as well. And so, um, you know, most startups uh, will will opt for a a third-party fulfillment company. And basically, um, what that means is that you're going to find somebody who's really good at picking and packing and shipping. Uh, they typically have more aggressive shipping rates than you could get on your own, at least initially. And you know, you're you're basically um, they're looking at your brand as a, as a certain profile to say, you know, we ship a lot of cosmetics. We like small, dense things, or we like really big, heavy things, or whatever it may be. And and they're the ones that are kind of saying, okay, we can do your stuff, and then, you know, company B, company C, company D, company E, and we can spread out that labor. We can spread out those costs. And so, uh, to you know, just to, to sum up, uh, a third-party fulfillment center typically will result in lower costs, at least initially. Um, but a first party or a self-fulfillment model um, will be 
better from a uh, uniqueness from a customer service perspective, um, especially if you're building a strategic asset. I understand where you're coming from, Aaron, but I think the self-fulfillment models is also a great place for new entrepreneurs or solopreneurs to start from when they're just trying a new business out, right? Yeah, and that's a totally valid um, model. And, and a lot of really successful companies have done that. Uh, you know, I think the important thing you need to do when you're in that self-fulfillment stage is to really figure out what you want. Um, a lot of times, you know, it's it's not as simple as, hey, just go, go ship this out for me. Uh, you care about how it's oriented. Maybe there's something unique from a branding perspective or from a customer experience perspective that you want to make, a make sure is taken care of. And so, um, you know, usually what we'll recommend is that, yeah, if you're going to, if you're going to dip your toe in the water, do self-fulfillment first, really work on canonizing and standardizing your overall process so that when you do go to a third-party fulfillment center, uh, you are able to, um, to, to hand off kind of a process and that'll ultimately result in lower costs. Yeah, I think this is sort of the whole idea of being able to, after having done yourself for a few rounds, you're actually able to communicate to the third party fulfillment company how you want things to be done at least. So this is the whole point of getting your hands dirty to understand the process a bit more. And I think as an entrepreneur, it will give you a bit more understanding of how the process will work in the first place. You're absolutely right. Now, Aaron, the global supply chain now is having a particularly tough time. Can you give us some insights on what is really happening? Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of stuff that's going on. Um, yeah, a lot. <laughs> you know, quite simply, um, <laughs> a lot of things are broken right now. And it's, you know, everything from port congestion to equipment availability to labor shortages to uh, demand shifts. I mean, things are, are very, very different. Um, you know, I think it's important before diving into the actual things that are broken and how we might fix them is to, to really zoom out and understand how we got here. Um, you know, for the last 25 or 30 years, we've built supply chains in a certain way. Uh, we, you know, in, in many cases have opted to, um, you know, we've, we've dropped global tariff order, you know, it's just become much more cost effective to ship internationally. Uh, and so we've we've gone from regionalized supply chains to global supply chains, where there are only a few firms that produce kind of everything of that commodity uh, for for everybody in the world. Um, you know, a core tenet of that was having very reliable uh, and, and efficient transportation uh, to move things from one part of the world to the other. And then we kind of all knew what what demand was going to look like. Um, we knew that most of the stuff was going to be sold. Uh, via retail, we knew that e-commerce was important, but but you know, kind of small. And I think that um, you know, with the pandemic, we've really accelerated our adoption of e-commerce, and we've accelerated just how much the economy has evolved um, by about ten to fifteen years in the last eighteen months. And so, you know, if you look at things, it's just amazing the amount of. Um, transitions that happen, whether it's it's a work from home um, adoption, whether it is remote learning, um, whether it is, you know, people recognizing that they want to spend their money uh, in, in different ways on different things. And so I, I think it's important first to understand that the, the ground has fundamentally shifted. And, you know, there are companies that uh, are doing really, really well now that were doing okay before. And there are companies that were doing really well before that, that aren't doing well now. And so um, with, with that fundamental change in demand, um, there's also been just 
some other difficulties in catching up. Um, you know, one of the key tenants that um, most companies have implemented is, is this concept of just-in-time inventory, uh, which is the concept of, of holding as little inventory as possible um, in order to maximize financial returns, in order to uh, reduce waste, things like that. And just-in-time is, is fantastic. It's a, it's a great methodology. Unfortunately, in my opinion, most companies implemented that incorrectly. Um, they, they took that to mean a, uh, a, a carte blanche, uh, let me hold as little inventory as possible, but when really just-in-time is about mitigating risk and using inventory as a strategic buffer. And so as we had this shock with the uh, pandemic and the overall global supply chain, uh, you know, people had some safety stock, but it was not nearly enough what they needed. And so we've kind of exhausted all that safety stock, and now we're going back to suppliers, really hoping and praying to get more, um, but it's not there yet. And so you see headlines about, you know, uh, auto manufacturers idling plants, which they're losing millions of dollars a week um, by not, you know, producing things. Uh, you you see things about the cost of food going up. You see things about, uh, you know, er, pretty much every input is going up in some way, shape, or form. And uh, yeah, and you have people who are saying that Christmas is postponed as well. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, normally stuff should be arriving in August, September. And uh, you know, last I checked, there were 111 uh, vessels outside the uh, the port of LA waiting to dock. Aaron, let's discuss this issue of customs clearance that you mentioned earlier. Now, personally, when I got started with e-commerce, I realized how beneficial it was to have an expert handling the whole process. One issue that really stood out for me during my early days when I got involved was this idea of custom tariffs. I know you said over the years it's come down is a lot more friendly, but of course there are still tariffs. So what advice would you have for another entrepreneur on how they can manage this process better? Sure. So part of this, I'll answer in two parts. The first is the design of your supply chain and kind of the impact that it has on customs and tariffs. And then the actual execution piece of it. So when it comes to overall design, it is really important that you look at the total cost, um, total landing cost as you're evaluating things. Uh, if you are comparing, um, if you're importing to the United States, for example, uh, you know, sourcing something from China um, versus Mexico may, be, may look very different depending on which stage of the value cycle you're looking at. Uh, you may very well get a lower price uh, coming from a factory from China, but that's before you consider transportation. It's before you consider uh, the, the duties of coming in. It's before you, you consider any Section 301 tariffs uh, or, you know, commonly known as the Trump tariffs. And so, um, and then, you know, your cost of capital. So if you're putting something on a boat for 60 days versus uh, putting in a truck for two days, you just, you have to, you have to invest more in inventory. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of hidden costs that you have to think about. And so uh, when it comes to design, I would say, you know, first and foremost, look at making estimates for everything and, and uh, don't forget about the soft costs. When it comes to the overall execution, the, the biggest piece of advice I could give you is to hire a freight forwarder. Um, these are experts who are, um, you know, very, very good at helping to navigate uh, not only the transportation uh, requirements that are out there or, or the work that needs to be done, uh, but also help navigate the, uh, the customs and, and the classification for what's going on. Um, every item has what's called an HTS code, harmonized tariff schedule. And uh, think of this as, you know, your... Uh, ID number, you have like a personal ID or social security number, it's kind of like a, an ID number for a commodity. And so we know that you know, 9001.22.415 
is a particular commodity, whether or not it's in the U.S. or it's in uh, Vietnam or, or France. And uh, understanding what those commodities are can have a big impact on, uh, on costs. So if you're importing a bag, for example, you might pay different duties if it is a bag, if it's a leather bag with a cloth handle or a leather handle and a cloth bag or uh, something that's you know, treated as a backpack versus a purse. And so there are, are some sort of uh, thoughts here that you can play with uh, in order to really make sure you're classified correctly so you're paying the, the appropriate tax that's owed. Mm-hmm. And to my understanding, HS codes are rather universal between the countries, correct? That's right. Occasionally, they vary a little bit. Um, it's usually when there's something new that hasn't been sold before. And, uh, you know, the importing countries like, okay, we'll call this something. Um, but by and large, yeah, HDS codes are, are common throughout the, the world. So guys, when it comes to managing your tariffs and your customs clearance, make sure you hire a freight forwarder. They have the licenses and experience to help you get your goods cleared through the customs. Also, when you're designing your supply chain, do have a think about what is your final landing cost. Also, when you're designing your supply chain, think about the final landing cost of a good as opposed to the manufacturing cost alone. Because there'll be costs like transportation costs, additional tariffs. So the landing cost itself is what will really impact your profit margin at the end of the day. And that's how you should think about it. Now, Aaron, for my next question, are there any particular issues we should think about maybe from a product packaging design perspective? So let's say a company has not yet produced the items that they want to make and eventually ship out, what are some things that they should have in mind to make it as efficient as they can when it comes to the transportation process or some certain compliance issues they need to face? So the first thing that comes to my mind is the country of origin label. So if you made something in China and you're bringing it to the United States, you need that made in China label when you're producing your packaging. But are there any other tips that you can share? Sure. Depending on the product that you're bringing in, uh, you'll need more than just the, you know, that country of origin um, sticker or, or tag. Um, if you're bringing in, you know, you may need to have clearance from a regulatory bottle. Or there may be a quota or a license or something like that that needs to be taken care of. Um, and so that's, that's where a good freight forward or good customs broker is, is helpful there. Um, when it comes to actual packaging, I think it's important to consider what your supply chain is going to look like. Um, you know, there's, there's, a, a, there's kind of four different ways that you can move something. Uh, you can put it on a plane, put it on a boat, put it on a truck, or you can ship it via parcel. And, uh, you know, it is, you could have a very good supply chain that's based on air shipping uh, from China to the United States. And uh, if, if you do it that route, then you want to optimize for, uh, for the size of the air freight container boxes that are there. Um, you want to make sure that it's very easy, you know, uh, that you're working on, on the right weight density and, and the right volume density uh, for what's going in there to, to really engineer that cost accordingly. Um, if you're putting something in a boat, uh, you know, you're, you're paying for that box, whether you have one unit or, or all the units in there. And so you want to focus on maximizing your cube and making sure that you stay within the weight parameters that are there, but you're, you're filling up all the space that's there. Uh, and then lastly, if you're going to, you know, put on a truck or put it uh, via parcel, uh, you know, you want to make sure that you've, you've got it palletized. You've got you know, your, your ability to move it around. Parcel is really interesting because um, one of the things that you can do, going back to your, your customs question earlier, is uh, every country has what's called a de minimis value. And that is the uh, maximum amount of, of value of goods that a single person can receive in a single shipment on a single day without paying taxes. And in the United States, it's something like 800 US dollars is, is what the, the de minimis is. And so what that means is if I'm shipping something, as long as it is worth less than $800 in that shipment, 
I don't have to pay any duties or taxes as part of doing that. And so, you know, you consider something here where if I'm, if I'm moving something, uh, you know, a full container's worth, uh, and maybe the value of that shipment is worth $50,000, well, I may pay 10 or 15% uh, tax uh, bringing that whole container in. Whereas if I split it out and I ship individual parcel shipments directly out of Hong Kong or elsewhere, exactly, you, you don't pay that 15%. You pay more in, in parcel shipping, um, even usually doing a more expedited service. Um, but the math can work out uh, where, where it can be more cost effective to be shipping directly from Asia um, versus uh, sending it via via ocean or via air to a fulfillment center in the United States. And that's another key takeaway from Aaron, guys. Look out for the diminished value for each country, and that's the amount that you can ship into the country without having to pay any tax. As Aaron has shared, you may actually be able to have a lower landing cost if you actually ship your goods in batches below the diminished value as compared to shipping a whole batch in a container, for example. So make sure you do your math, see what works better and gives you a better profit margin. So Aaron, on this point, can you share with us which countries would ISPA Consulting be able to help with? Yeah, great question. We've got team members across the world. And so we do a lot of work uh, in uh, North and South America, in Asia, and in Europe. Um, we, you know, we are, are also, we're fortunate enough to kind of be able to, to pick our clients and we're, we're pretty selective. Um, but we do offer a free supply chain audit uh, for, for you know, just kind of as a free service for people. Um, typically, the, the right fit for us are companies that are, um, you know, venture funded or, or, you know, are seeking venture funding that um, are either at a tact where they're going to be growing very aggressively um, or are looking to go omnichannel. So going from maybe just D to C to D to C in retail or expanding internationally. Um, we, we thrive really well with those difficult uh, supply chain problems where somebody's crossing borders, trying to do different channels, trying to do something that's, that's, uh, that's new. Um, and so, you know, we, we do have clients around the world. Um, and, uh, you know, that being said, most of our, um, our experience is, uh, is in the United States. And so we've got, uh, we help a lot of folks enter the United States or, or who are in the United States who are entering other markets. And so, um, like I said, we, we'd be happy to kind of walk through and, and do an audit. And the, the right way to schedule that time would be to go to uh, isba.co, I-Z-B-A.co. And you can uh, reach out on the website to, to schedule a free supply chain audit. So to the listeners who are tuning in, all the resources and links that Aaron just shared are available on this episode page. So go and check it out right now. Now, Aaron, you've worked with many startups over the years. What are some key takeaways that you've obtained from working with startups like Hubble Context and Mirror that you could share with us? Yeah, these are two fantastic companies. And, and we've got uh, a long list of companies that we're proud of uh, that we've, we've been able to be either a small part or a big part of, uh, of their journey. Um, you know, as far as just key learnings, I would say that it is important for a company to recognize that the problem they have to solve right now is their supply chain for the next 18 months. Um, don't, again, I, I think I said this earlier, but don't worry about being a billion dollar company before you're a million dollar company. Um, really focus in on, on those pieces, what you do. Uh, Mir's a great example. Uh, you know, we, we started working with them just after the public launch. And uh, I think we've rebuilt their supply chain four or five times as, uh, as they've grown and expanded and, uh, you know, uh, have just really exploded and, and become a, a, you know, a huge force to reckon with. Um, and so I, you know, I think it's important to, to be there. I think, you know, personally, the things that I've learned is just, you know, coming out of a, a big Fortune 500 CPG, 
supply chain is kind of taught uh, to say no a lot. Um, you've got a very specific system okay. that's created, uh, and and the point is to just make sure that system works and is 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 happy. And so you find yourself saying no a lot, um, even when when there are ideas that are good. Um, in a startup, you know that's that's not the role that you play. Um, you know, again, the, the purpose of supply chain is to take those uh, those ambitions and those dreams and figure out how to how to turn into reality. And so, you know, rather than saying no. Today we show people the trade-offs. If if somebody, you know, hey says, hey, I have this idea. I want to put twenty dollars in every package they send out. Well, yes, you could do that, right? You could do that. But here are all of the other impacts you have to consider, and that's ultimately up to the business to make that decision. Um, you know, so I think that's that's an important piece. Is as an operator, it's not our job to say if something's a good idea or a bad idea. It's our job to to figure out how you're going to execute that that idea. And then allow the business to to make that decision. Now, Aaron, entrepreneurship is never an easy journey. Who would you say you have an immense amount of gratitude for, and you'd like to take this opportunity to say thank you to? You know, it, it's really interesting because nobody ever gets to where they are by themselves, um, and so there are an enormous amount of of people um, who have just been. I'm just so grateful for. Um, you know, my my wife uh, is the first one at the top of the list. Uh, for most things, she's. Uh, always been incredibly supportive and, um, you know, encouraged me to jump out on this, this crazy idea and, and puts up with uh, long nights and, and traveling quite a bit. Um, you know, I've got a fantastic team and uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful for the caliber of people that, that uh, we've attracted and then we continue to attract um, because uh, they're, they're really the special thing about this, it, but it's, it's, it's not me. Um, it's, it, you know, it's, it's really kind of them and their dedication. Um, have had some fantastic clients, some fantastic uh, mentors along the way, who um, have been willing to try things, and uh, you know have been willing to to kind of be those um, th- those teachers in some way. As as you know, we figure things out that that have never literally been never been done before, but also as we figure out things that we've never done before. And so uh, there's a there's a very very long list of of people that. Uh, you know, I could, I could probably spend an hour thinking. Now, Aaron, if the listeners only remember one thing from today's conversation, what would you like it to be? I think that uh, the takeaway that I would have would be that supply chain can be complex, but it doesn't need to be impossible. Um, you know, there, you, you, you eat an elephant one bite at a time, I think is how the saying goes. And there are fundamental principles, there are fundamental um, rules that you can use to help design something, even if you're building something that's never been done before. Now, Aaron, how can the listeners get in contact with you if they need your help? Sure. So um, best way would, again, to, to reach out the website uh, at uh, isba.co uh, or my email is, is aaron at isba.co. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing with us your expertise and passion. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Guys, thank you so much for joining Aaron and I on today's episode. I hope you learned a little bit more about how you can build your supply chain. Now, as before, if you've received any value from the show, I would love if you could subscribe to the show, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and to share the show with somebody who find it useful as well. All updates, tools, and resources, and my email list are available on tedteo.com. That's T-E-D-T-E-O.com. That's all for me today. I'll see you guys next time.